Welcome back to the Jambase Podcast, proud partner of the Osiris Media Network. I'm Scott Bernstein, and on this episode, you'll hear my interview with Dopapod guitarist Rob Kampa. Dopapod recently released a fantastic self-titled studio album, and I spoke with Rob about the record and more during a recent chat. Stay tuned for the interview, but first, a word from this episode's sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Grateful Fred. Show your love of great music on the DL with Grateful Fred. Grateful Fred brings officially licensed, high-quality chrome badges and more to fans of the Grateful Dead, Fish, and Widespread Panic. Check out a wide array of designs like the 13-point bull, the steely, dancing bears, song titles, and numerous other classic Grateful Dead designs. Find the full Grateful Fred collection at www.grateful-fred.com. That's G-R-A-T-E-F-U-L-F-R-E-D.com. Visit gratefulfred.com today. This weekend, I had the pleasure of watching Goose make their debut at Radio City Music Hall in New York City. I love that venue and really enjoyed the band's marathon concerts. Goose played three sets each night, starting with an acoustic frame and continuing with two electric sets. As if performing at Radio City wasn't special enough, Goose was joined by guests each night, including Father John Misty and Fish guitarist Trey Anastasio on Saturday. Man, I have goosebumps just thinking about it. The action started on Friday, and the evening's acoustic set saw the quintet honor the Grateful Dead by debuting a cover of Jackaro. It was a fitting tribute to the Dead, who famously played eight shows at Radio City in October of 1980, using the same format of an acoustic set followed by two electric sets. Another acoustic highlight on Friday was This Old Sea, an example of Goose's outstanding songwriting skills. Goose went on to bring the jams with adventurous versions of Pancakes and Madavon later in the night. Friday marked release day for Goose's Dripfield album, and the band brought out Dripfield producer D. James Goodwin, as well as saxophonist Stuart Bogey and trombonist Dave Nelson, for arrangements of Hot Tea and Arrow, not too far afield from those found on Dripfield. With a show that went from 8 p.m. to midnight, I was drained on Saturday. But after thinking about bailing, I pulled it together and went back for round two. Boy, was I glad I did. Before we even get to the magical guest appearances, we were treated to another stellar acoustic set. Flowdown sounded so good unplugged, and it was also really cool to see covers of Arcade Fire's Wake Up and Atlantic City by Bruce Springsteen. Father John Misty came out towards the end of the second set for I'm Writing a Novel a song of his that Goose has performed a number of times previous. Josh fronted the group on his tune, and apparently he was tripping on acid while doing so. Kudos to him for keeping it together. Trey emerged after Silverizing opened the third set and stayed out for the rest of the show. Big Red did such a great job of picking his spots, and I love that the whole set was devoted to Goose Originals. My favorite moment was Arcadia, the song that got me into Goose. Trey helped sing Arcadia and then tore up the jam with Mick Matarotonda. Peter Ansbach stuck on keys for the most part, with one exception, as he got in on the center stage action during Dripfield. For the encore, Father John Misty and Trey contributed to a cover of the Beatles' Tomorrow Never Knows. It was a night I'll never forget. Be sure to head to jambase.com for my review, as well as audio and video from the show. All right, now let's get to my interview with Dopapod's Rob Kampa. Rob was at his home in Vermont in May when we caught up through a video chat. The guitarist took me through the timeline of the Dopapod album, which the band started work on before the pandemic began. The self-titled record features a mix of quote-unquote new material, along with songs that date back a while. One of those tunes is Grow, and Kampa explained how Dopapod returned to the song with a new outlook and fresh arrangement nearly eight years after its debut for inclusion on the album. Rob also talked about how he knows the particular strengths of each of his bandmates and is fine with them handling aspects such as naming the album and coming up with its sequencing rather than having too many cooks in the kitchen. We went on to discuss Fanny my favorite track from Dopapod, and how that song was written. The vinyl packaging for Dopapod's self-titled album integrates a playable board game. 
Compo recalled the initial idea behind the time-traveling board game and how the band collaborated on the concept with former crew member Luke Stratton. Rob and I also discussed Dopapod's year-plus hiatus that came before COVID-19 led to a pause in live touring, and how the hiatus actually prepared the band to handle the realities of the pandemic. Listen to my interview with Dopapod guitarist Rob Compa, which we'll lead into with a bit of Black Holes from the band's self-titled studio album. to the Jam Bass Podcast. How's it going, Rob? It's going great. Thank you very much for having me. Excellent. Glad to have you. And uh, you're at home in, in Vermont. How, how long have you lived in Vermont? Uh, uh, a little over four years now. So, yeah. And I love it. I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's my kind of speed, you know? Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. It must be um, a, a real change when when you hit the big cities uh, while touring. <laughs> yeah, it is. Except that I mean, I the band lived in New York City, we and Boston even before that, so we we know what it's like. But it's almost like when you've lived in it, you you it's even harder to be there. <laughs> sure, no. Um, but our bass player Chuck, he actually just moved to Vermont too. Him and his wife are. Uh, I think they're they're gonna get a place over in Jeffersonville area, so it's pretty cool. It's the first time in forever that uh, I've lived in the same state as another band member. You know, <laughs> we're spread out all over the place. So, yeah. And Eli's in Philadelphia. Yeah, correct. He's still there, and and uh, Neil just moved to North Carolina. Um. So. The first time in ages we've all been on the East Coast. That's like we feel like we're next door to each other comparatively because <laughs> yeah, half the band great. was in Colorado. So yeah. that, that that makes it much easier, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you guys have a fantastic self-titled studio album out now. And it, it's my understanding work began uh, on Dopapod before the pandemic began. C- can you take us through the timeline of the album? <clears throat> yeah. Um, recording probably started, man, right at the very 11th hour before everything shut down, probably like late February, early March of 2019 or, uh, 2020, sorry. Um, and, but you know, albums go back way farther than that. So like some of the songs that are on the album are really old. Like there's one song that's, that's like eight years old on it you know um so you know you could rationalize it going back even further but um and then you know the whole world like stopped of course we don't need to everybody knows what we're talking about and so it kind of just sat there for a little bit for a long bit (laughs) you know and luckily we had gotten done with like 
what's called like basics tracks, which is really, you're just trying to get a good drum take. Everybody else could play the worst version of the song they've ever played. But if the drum take is good, you can, you can build a recording off of it. Um, not saying that was, um, it wasn't that dire. There were a lot of performances where they sounded pretty darn good, even untouched, you know, but we, uh, we had gotten down all the basics. So we had all of the, like, all of the versions of the songs that we would overdub and, you know, layer and record our own parts on and the vocals and everything. So we could all, even though we couldn't be in the same room together, we could all chip away at the album over the next two years, which is what we did, you know, slowly but surely. And I would take it, it wasn't all together for, for parts of it that you did it in, in bits and spurts with, just you and Eli at, at, at times. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, Eli and I pretty much take the vocal duties. So there was a couple of days where we all, we, not all of us, me and him met up in Syracuse at the recording studio and we just did all the vocals for the albums, recorded all the vocal parts. Uh, Eli kind of did all his keyboard stuff as he, you know, kind of, I think he just like did it whenever he wanted to. And, we had another time where we went to Syracuse and just did guitar parts, you know. Um, so I would like, you know, put acoustic guitar on a lot of things or a classical nylon string guitar, different kinds of electric guitars, just, you know what I mean? So it sounds more colorful. Sure. And um, yeah, and I mean, there was even a few times where we were like, you want to go to the studio this week? And Neil would be like, yeah, let's do it. And then one of us would be like, I don't know, man, I feel kind of sick. Which, which is placebo kind of stuff. Sure. Like we weren't even sick at all. We were just kind of afraid to do anything, which is just like so frustrating. And then, um, yeah, Chuck, I remember Chuck was visiting Vermont at one point and, and um, we recorded like some bass parts in where I was. I was actually living in my now wife, then girlfriend. I was, we were living in her store for like seven months. We didn't have a place to live because of how crazy everything got. So we were in like the basement of her store recording bass parts and stuff. And, you know, it was, it was a wild ride. I'll tell you, you know. And at what point was the album finished? I don't even know. Is it finished? You know, yeah, no, fair enough. <laughs> I've lost track, you know? Uh, oh gosh. Let me think here. Um, it, I mean, it was the music part of it was finished a really long time ago, like a year ago, even maybe no more than that. But but it could have been that long ago. And then after that, it was all a matter of this whole board game concept and trying to figure that out and all the art that would go with it and how, you know, our, our management wanting to, like, put it out properly. And they were pretty patient about it. Um. So, yeah, I don't even remember how long ago. A while. It's been a while. Yeah. yeah. Who produced the album? Uh, I guess you could say that the engineer, Jocko Randall, he was the owner of the studio and the engineer. He's sort of also a producer, if you like, because um, his ears are just great and we value his opinion. So he's always sort of, uh, whether he realizes it or not, he's kind of a producer a little bit, you know. And it might say self-produced on the record. I'm not sure. I don't know. I'm, I don't have my finger on the pulse of all of it, you know. And is it is his place in Syracuse that you're referring to? Yeah, More Sound Studios. It's an awesome studio. We made so many albums there. I made my own solo album there, too, when we were, um, when we took our first hiatus before the pandemic in 2018. I made a solo album there. We've done a ton of records there and still have a lot of our friends I discovered that place because of the band Rubble Bucket. Um, I don't know. Do you ever listen to them? Yeah. The Vermont uh, duo, Alex and... Um, Alex and Kale. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I uh, years and years ago, like 2010, probably 11. Yeah, 2010. I, I, was, I played guitar with them for like a run of shows because their guitar player hurt his hand, I think. Um, and while we were like driving to some gig, we stopped in Syracuse. And it was Jocko's studio. And that's where I met Jocko and saw the studio for the first time. So they recorded there. Aqueous is recorded there. Jim Cotta's recorded there. I think Mo at one point was talking about recording there. John Brown's Body. Like so many bands that we know. It's just a great place to make music. Very cool. Yeah. 
And one thing that you talked about earlier is that there are songs that date a long time, far back. And I know one of them is, is Grow. Um, yeah. And why did you decide now was the time to <laughs> record Grow? I think because it finally sounds good. <laughs> you know, okay. the reason it took, it, it's not even necessarily that the song is eight years. It's almost like it took eight years to write. because. If you look at a version from when we first wrote it eight years ago, it's completely different. There's sections that I don't even remember how they go anymore that ended up feeling superfluous. So we got rid of them. Um, like so many changes. And um, usually simpler is better. You find like you, it's more a matter of the solution is taking things away rather than adding things. That's usually the solution to whatever the problem is. Um, and yeah, so it kind of just took that long. It, completely went away for a while 100 percent um and then yeah i think one around like 2019 we started playing it again and and it clicked it was finally like we were confident about it take a left and right you gotta look twice a microscopic particle at the start of its life wasn't even a matter of yeah it was the right time because it was finally felt like it was done enough to put on an album and before that we were like kind of like well we could play this live but i don't know if i really want this to like be um you know um when you make an album it's you know a lot of times you have like 20 songs and you pick the 10 best of them or something so for a long time we didn't feel like it met that standard and it just stayed off of it and it finally did meet that standard i guess you know i liked that when you put out the studio version as a single. You also shared the demo to give people, you know, a uh, idea of, of how far that song has come in, in yeah. years. Yeah. And, and I mean, almost every song is like that. I think probably with every band and we don't realize it, yeah. you know, so it just takes a long time. And, um, I bet for every song that we love, there's a million versions that we'll never get to hear that aren't that great. You know, <laughs> I, I've been really into um, like anytime the Beatles get to a 50th anniversary of an album, they've been putting up like all the demos of the songs in like a deluxe thing on Spotify. So like there's this new version of the White Album that has like 107 tracks on it or something. And it's all like the early demos of songs. And a lot of times they like, barely even resemble the finished products you know and it's you know i mean like i think more on a research value that's really great to hear than on like a, a just like pleasant listening thing it's like you get to hear them be just as human as the rest of us like they had to work just as hard as anybody else to make their songs great you know which is like really comforting Right. Um, same thing with sergeant pepper too me and eli were driving around once and we listened to like all the demos of the sergeant pepper tunes and they were so skeletal. Like instead of all these like elaborate, like these horns and strings and stuff, everything is just like block chords in like eighth notes or quarter notes. It's just, you know, it's a template. It's, it's, it's really cool. Yeah. I, I love seeing the creative process at work. And that, that's what I loved about Peter Jackson's get back. I mean, you know, Oh yeah. I mean, the greatest scene to me in that entire thing is the thing when Paul McCartney's playing something that's like not even very good sounding at all. And over the course of 10 minutes, you watch it become get back yeah. in one sitting. It's amazing.
That's definitely mind yeah. blowing. That, that yeah. whole... The documentary could have just been that and been yeah. 10 minutes long. And I... <laughs> <laughs> that was amazing. You know, no, yeah. no, no doubt. Um, I'm sure you get this question all the time during this cycle, but why now to give the album the Dopamine title? Uh, this is mostly an Eli thing, but he just he's figured that it's our seventh album and Dopapod has seven letters in it. Okay. <laughs> and we kind of with album titles usually like I think he's the one who who sort of cares the most what an album's gonna be called. And we're he'll usually be like, We're gonna what, what do you guys think about calling it this? And we're all like, sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So it's pretty easy with the rest of us. Um, he's the sort of the one of us who's really into the palindrome thing and all that. The rest of us are sort of like, I mean, I don't waste a whole lot of my day thinking about palindromes if I'm being honest. So, sure. so we sort of let him sort of curate all that. And, and I, I mean, I'm most, I'm just sort of concerned about the songs and the music and everything. Not so much about the, what we're going to call it or what the art is going to look like or how we're going to promote it. You know, I'm out, I'm out of, I'm out to lunch in that aspect. Right. Well, yeah, it'll be, uh, you know, I, I heard that an, a recent interview you did where uh, you thought it'd be uh, cool to call the album Palindrome to stop. Someday. That's, my, <laughs> that's me throwing like a, a wrench in the spokes, you know, yeah, that would be hilarious. <laughs> I would love that so much, you know, but, you know, we'll see. With what you just said and and how, you know, you're, you're mostly about the music and, and let other the other cooks in the kitchen handle the album art and stuff like that what about sequencing how, how did how how was dopapod sequenced as far as the order of the songs yes i don't even know <laughs> I, okay so you, that's really another thing that you were cool. not involved in no i don't think i i don't think i had much to do with that at all i was um in past albums, I've had more to do with it. Like I remember, um, I think on the album that has present ghosts on it, we had this big discussion of if we wanted our song nerds to open the album or present ghosts. And, and that, I mean, I'll say something if I have an opinion and if I don't, it's almost like the opinion does like, I feel like an opinion that doesn't need to be given. It's just sort of like, Oh, well, I got to say something It's sort of like, kind of um like an, an unstable chemical being put in the in the uh in the formula you sure. know so if i don't actually have an opinion i feel like it's it's better to just not say anything but i remember on that record being like people wanted nerds is the first song and i remember being like that sounds kind of like a joke and if people are hearing us for the first time i want them to hear something that we really put a lot of like care and attention to detail in so I voted for Ghost to be the first song on the album. I'm not sure what ended up being the first song. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And uh, what guitar did you use for, for tracking this album? I used a few. I uh, <clears throat> Typically, um, something that I, before I even get there, I know I'm going to want, I have, I've had the same Paul Reed Smith hollow body since I was 19. And I don't go anywhere without it. It's, it's it's always there. And there have been some albums where I barely picked it up, but I always want to know it's at arm's length if I need it. Cause it's, it's sort of, it's my comfort zone if I need to go there. So I always bring that. And then I have like, um, I always need some kind of a strat. I'm just knowing I'm going to need it. That's like an essential tool in the studio because it mostly for like rhythm guitar, like a, nothing tracks rhythm guitar, like, a spanky, like it doesn't have to necessarily be a Fender Strat, but something that does what that does. So I had my Paul Reesman Silver Sky, which is sort of, they wouldn't like me saying this, but it's like their version of a Strat, you right. know? Uh, and it's great. I love it. So I use that for a lot of like the rhythm guitar stuff. And then there was a couple of tunes. I think the song Think, a lot of that is a, um, like a Les Paul that Jocko had in the studio. Um, that's probably it for electric guitars was those three. Oh, there's another Strat that, that Jocko also has in the studio. That's not my silver Scott that, that I, I just happened to be holding it when we tracked and it was there, but it's a really nice Strat. And then 
I used a bunch of acoustic guitars too. Um, some things, just whatever. I think a Martin and some kind of a nylon string that he had hanging around. Yeah. And that's the great thing about a studio is a lot of times, like, I mean, I only own a couple of guitars, but anything I don't have, he probably does. So <laughs> that's great to be able to, yeah. to choose and just what fits perfectly for, for that situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, my favorite track on the album is, is Fanny. I mean, it's just deliciously weird. <laughs> how, how did... I think that's everybody else in the band's favorite too, actually. <laughs> I would like to buy a shiny present for my love. song come together uh it came together on a camping trip we were in colorado the, the whole we had just played at the ogden theater in colorado and denver and we all went camping and we had this like little martin travel acoustic with like a not even the sound hole it had like a hole blown into it, it like you know what i mean it was broken technically but you could still play it and we were just kind of sitting around all day and you know, drinking and eating food and having fun. And um, the guitar part to Fanny kind of like that was me screwing around and one of us liked it and turned on their little phone recorder. And uh, I think that if we ever find the demo, I bet the lyrics in it are just like me making fun of one of the other guys or something, you know what I mean? Like you make up songs about each other joking around. And then I went to Eli's in Philly and we were going to make a demo of it. <clears throat> the music, I mean, there's not much to the music. It's like three chords. So we didn't have to worry too much about that. It was more like we had to come up with lyrics and the lyrics that are actually on the record were just meant to be filler lyrics. Cause a lot of times you just want to like, have any lyrics at all just to know what it's going to feel like when your real lyrics are there you know and we ended up really liking them we're not even sure what they're about but we like them <laughs> so we kept them i know one um one lyric that i do remember in that one i think a lot of those lyrics kind of like come back to when we were all living in new york city together because i picture the city in that song and I mentioned like um, uh, a diner out in Orange is still open. It is new. That's Orange, New Jersey, you know. And there's another line right after that. Um, I live next to a factory where radium was made. I glow when it's dark, but I feel fine during the day. I just listened to this podcast about something called the Radium Girls. Have you ever heard of that? No. <clears throat> At like the turn of the century, like right around World War One, um, people used radium to like paint things. Like they would use it to paint like glow in the dark stuff on like on wristwatches and all this stuff. And uh, they used radium to do it, which is like radioactive, you know. So a lot of these girls that would work in the factory, I mean, they got sick and they passed away because of it. I can but imagine. They, the radium made them glow in the dark it was that intense and i just listened to a podcast about that and i think in the podcast they said that one of the major factories was in orange new jersey so that's one lyric that actually sort of like i could trace back where it makes sense the rest of it's complete gibberish it doesn't make sense <laughs> you know but we like that about it it's like it's just, man not everything has to make sense it's, it's you know it can just be silly and fanatic and fun you know 
Yeah, I mean, and then you have more serious lyrics like in in, in black holes and you know all for one and yeah, that yeah. actually has some meaning to it, you know, and it's probably pretty obvious, you know, and um, yeah. Um, we talked about the uh, board game. Um, actually, before we get into that, Fanny, I just saw <clears throat> you, you. You debuted Fanny live um, yeah. back back in January, and it sounds so different. Um, in in concert, I mean, it's like slow and 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 groovy and has this pulsing feel. How do how do you go about bringing that song as an example? How did you go about bringing that song to the stage? We don't even think about it. We just, if if you're just in the moment and reading the room and playing how you feel and what it feels like the other people in the room feel, it'll most likely take on the life that it's supposed to take on, you know? So, I mean, that it could have been like that one night. And then this is the great thing about simple songs too, is that they can be played so many different ways. For all I know, there might be some, set in the future where everybody's raging and on 10 and we'll play that song as like a, as a speed metal tune or something. You never, <laughs> so, so I don't think it's a matter. We don't really think about it very hard and I don't think we should. It's sort of like you just live in the moment and be present and the song will hopefully take on the life that it ought to take that night. That'll, that people will relate to, you know? And have you at this point played all the songs from the album or, or just no. some of them? Uh, there's a few more that nobody's ever even heard before. Uh, yeah, there's like, I think like still three or four more songs that we haven't debuted yet. One really old one that, that has, that we used to play live and haven't played in a long time. So yeah, there's still more to come that people haven't even heard except us. We got to figure out how to play them still. <laughs> you <Right>. know? <laughs> And, yeah. and and that's the thing you you did mention reading the room and and going from there. But I assume you you first sit down with the guys and at, at least come up with a, a basic arrangement. Of, oh yeah, totally. Um, yeah. yeah, we know how to play the song. I mean, it's not like we're like I hope we all know how to play this. You know, yeah. I mean, there was I remember that night before we debuted Fanny. I mean, all there was like a lot of trying to remember the words to it and being really frustrated that I couldn't, you know, there's just so many and they're so weird, you know? Yeah. And, um, so I mean that ample time goes into rehearsing and knowing the arrangements, but also like a lot of, um, there's a lot of focus and being able to let go of that arrangement if needs be. And we don't want to be so attached to anything that we have to play it the same exact way every night. At this point, some of the older stuff we wrote in such a way that it's like really hyper-specific, you know? I think this stuff is a little looser and, and caters to kind of like being open to interpretation on any given night. So, um, but I almost, you got to be able to play it just like it is on the album before you do that, you know? Um, another one that we just started playing from the new album is Black Holes. And that one was pretty hard considering. Um, that one took like a fair amount of like rehearsal and, and lyric memorization is always like, that might be the hardest part some of the time for me, you know? Do yeah. you, do you use a iPad or anything? Do you cheat at all with uh, ha having something with the lyrics on it? I will if it's, I will if it's a cover. Yeah. Um, and, um, but if it's one of our originals, I, I, I sort of had this revelation the day that we started playing black holes is that I would rather get the lyrics wrong, but not had a sheet of paper in front of me than gotten it right with a sheet of paper. Do you know what I mean? Uh, I can appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I'm sort of committing at least with our own stuff. I would rather just like, I would rather get it wrong, but at least have been in the room and not looking down at a sheet of paper. Uh, of and course. tried my best, you know? Yeah. One that I didn't do that with that I, and, and it shows is we have this other song called Think on the new album. And there's these little like jabs of single syllable words. And there's like 20 of them. And I can never remember the order of them or which one's which. It's just so hard. That one I wrote down 
But because of that, it's a crutch. And every time we play it, I got to be like, oh, fuck, I got to go write this down somewhere. <laughs> and I don't want to do that. So, yeah. No doubt. I'm sure the, the fans get a kick out, out of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so back, back into the, the board game, it, sure. I, uh, such a, a cool concept. Um, and how, how, who, who came up with the idea for that? Uh, I think Eli probably had the notion of doing some kind of a board game because Luke, our old lighting guy, Luke Stratton. Yeah. Luke Stratton is no longer. Um, I mean, he's alive. I shouldn't say he's no longer with us. He's, <laughs> he's no longer our lighting guy. He, uh, he made this new thing for himself on Patreon where he makes Dungeons and Dragons maps. And he's like a celebrity at it. He's like killing it. So I think we kind of, we were like, well, why wouldn't we do this? You know, we have somebody who knows how to do it, you know? Um, and then everybody had like their little pieces of input. Like I thought it would be cool to kind of like, we've had this kind of time travel sort of, topic going on in our song catalog for like years you know we keep writing songs about this time traveler going to places and everything and it, it was written it's just peppered so far across different albums and years and years that like there's no way we could have done it and like it's not like we could have made a concept album out of it so instead we kind of figured like well it's about a time traveler so it's kind of like in the game, you can jump back in time to our previous albums. So it's almost like we sort of kind of made it sort of like our whole catalog is one kind of has this little concept running through it, which we thought was pretty cool. Um, and then once I, I, I think that I was like, what if we did that? It'll be really cool. And, and everyone's like, oh, that's a great idea. And then we started talking about like what the board would look like and the artwork and like the rules of the game and like, do is it a dice game like people did like research on how board games are made and i was by then i i took my too many cooks in the kitchen approach and i was like you know have fun everybody i'm out of here you know let me know when it's done have you played the game no i haven't okay <laughs> i don't even have a copy of the album yet oh wow and, you gotta yeah, get that <laughs> i do gotta get it man i i um yeah but i think they some of the other guys have their copy already. And I just, some, I missed that email as I often yeah. do miss emails, <laughs> but I'm not too worried. I'm like, well, you know, I know how the songs go and yeah. I'm sure I can go to the merch table and mosey on over and grab my copy whenever I want. <laughs> there, yeah. there you go. I'm not too worried about it. Yeah. Well, Luke ran lights with you guys for a long time for, for 11 years. Um, yeah. How, um, uh, Jaws has taken over the, uh, Mike Jaws. Yeah. How, how's, how's the transition been? It's been amazing. I can't even say enough about it. It's, um, uh, so it was a little tricky to navigate because Luke did, I mean, he did, a, I mean, obviously he designed that board game. He designed our website back in the day. He uh, designed like our original kind of like Batman looking logo. He designed a bunch of merch. He's just a Swiss army knife. And, but mainly the two big things is that he did sound and light simultaneously for us. So when we lost Luke, we had to hire two other people instead, you know, to replace one person. and. At that point in time, Luke's last tour, Mike Jaws, who we just called Jaws, but you know, I'm being thorough here. We can just call him Jaws from here on out. <laughs> he, uh, he was like a lighting tech for Luke. And Wes Roberge was doing monitors for us. And so when Luke left, we basically just promoted both of them to doing Wes did front of house sound and Jaws did lights. and. Um, yeah, it's been awesome. I mean, they're, they're really enthusiastic. Like they want to be there, which is really, we need that, you know? Yeah. Um, I would much rather have that than someone who's tired of doing it, you know, but maybe, maybe they have like, um, Maybe they have a really good resume or something and they've worked with a lot of people. I would way rather get somebody who's just like hungry and passionate and excited 
Um, and they are, and it shows they're doing an amazing job. It's just, we couldn't be happier. And, and they really kind of saved our asses. Cause I, I would be lying if I, I didn't say we were a little freaked out losing Luke, yeah. you know, it's a, it's like a fifth member of the band. I, um, I can imagine. Yeah. But it's been awesome. It's been really great. And, and they feel like just a, a part of the gang, you know? Which is so important as as part of that equation. Yeah, I don't know what it's like in other styles of music, but I mean, I know on like really big tours, like Luke does Smashing Pumpkins, and it's like the crew almost never even sees the band. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's 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 like a corporation or something at that point. You know, um, you know that the CEOs are on the top floor. You almost never see them unless you're in trouble. Maybe I don't know. That's what I imagine, like the musical equivalent of that. And in our little world, we're all traveling in the same vehicle together. We're all hanging out together. We're eating meals together. We're joking around together. We're getting in fights together. The crew is just as much a part of the band as the four people that are on stage. You know, we're all going through the same as experience every day together. It's the same. And we're doing the same thing. So you better be able to get along, yeah. you know? Yeah. And we do. It's been great. Well, speaking of that, you and and as you alluded to earlier, um, Dopapod went on hiatus for a long period of time, got back into it in 2019, and mm-hmm. then the pandemic hit not too long after that. Um, you know, I uh, my understanding is one of the reasons that that led to that first hiatus was just a bit getting a bit burnt out on on touring. Yeah, and so what? have you learned from, from that hiatus or what, what are, have, have you guys done to make sure you don't get back into that spot again? Well, I'll say what I learned personally first, because that was kind of the whole point of the hiatus was for everybody to just go away and take care of themselves. So I think the main things that each of us learned are probably pretty personal things. Sure. So I'll start there. And I think I kind of learned um, I could say a lot of things, but I learned that I needed to make, I learned how fragile being in a band is, especially after the pandemic too, but you know, that it can go away really fast. So I can't have it be the thing that makes me happy, you know? Uh, so I spent a lot of time, like kind of starting with moving to Vermont trying to build a life that made me happy for other reasons and that I loved and it's like fulfilling and enriching so that if the bands are not playing, I'm still, I still feel like a complete person with a lot of things to be happy about, you know? Um, and then professionally too, kind of making other things for ourselves to do so that on a financial level, if the bands are not doing anything, we're kind of like, okay, whatever, because it really, one of the things that really burned us out was that it was our pretty much our sole source of income. So we had to play even when we didn't have anything to say, you know, we're exhausted. We don't want to be playing. We don't want, and like, it's hard to be on tour for six weeks in a Chevy van. Let me tell you what. So when you finish one and then two weeks later, you're on another one, it's pretty hard to like, to, um, it's pretty hard to find that enthusiasm, you know? So it's nice to have other, like for me, it's teaching. I love teaching guitar lessons. And I've gotten it to a point where even if I don't play any gigs in a month, I can still teach lessons and I'm still holding a guitar and I'm still doing something that's fulfilling and exciting and fun for me, you know? So those things. And then I also kind of... um I think for a while before we really took that break, I think I personally was like really having a hard time, which I know a lot of musicians do with like feeling jealous of other bands or peers. And it can be hard. You see your friends like, yeah. um, Things that you want to have for your own band too. And I feel like I really worked out a lot of shit in that department um, and kind of realized that with, 
like, I don't know if there's necessarily anything you can do about jealous feelings. Like you can't turn them off. We're human. But I realize that it's possible to feel those feelings, but also be happy for the people that you're jealous of at the same time. And if you do that, it's sort of the antidote for the other thing anyways. And not having a man at all, once I got it back, I'm just so immensely grateful for it. Like every second I, I have on stage, I, I'm not even concerned about the music being like good, whatever that means anymore, or like playing perfectly or anything. I, I just, my main goal every time I'm on stage is to be as present and there and make as many memories as possible. Cause at the end of this, all we're going to have left of it, you know, someday, sometime, that's all we're going to have is memories. So when I'm in it, I want to be there and present and making memories and having as good of a time as I can possibly have, you know? And I would imagine that all of those things that you just discussed kind of were helpful to realize when the pandemic hit. And once again, you were forced not to have Dopapod be the only thing, you know, or the main thing making you happy. Yeah. And then actually when, I mean, yeah, the pandemic sucks. It still sucks, but I feel like a lot of our friends and other bands, rightfully so, were really freaking out. They were like, how am I going to make a living? I want to play and I can't. And we were kind of like, felt like our last hiatus had almost been like hiatus college, you know? Sure. So when the pandemic happened, we, I mean, we were sad about it. It wasn't fun, but we were like, we know we're going to be okay. Cause we've done this before, yeah. you know? Um, so I think that helped, that helped us deal with it pretty well, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, well, last thing, uh, you guys are opening for George Clinton and parliament Funkadelic, uh, this, this, this summer, um, has there been any talk with their camp of perhaps, you know, collaborating together? There's been a little bit of talk, but I don't want to like give anything away or promise people anything that isn't even going to happen, sure. but it has been, it has been discussed. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Th- that would be super cool. And yeah. Um, are, are you a big, uh, P-Funk guy? Um, I, I got to be honest, I've, I haven't done my homework on P-Funk. I haven't listened to much of the music. Mm-hmm. I When I was at Berkeley in college, I took a P-Funk class. I was in a P-Funk ensemble. And I went to the first rehearsal. And the teacher of the class who was a drummer, he just showed up with like a Squire Strat and just like shredded over the entire thing. Like, <laughs> Not badly, but like an out of tune strat. And I was like, I, why am I even here playing guitar? You know, so I actually like didn't even, I dropped the class. I, I took something else instead and I don't even remember what. Um, so that was funny. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I, I couldn't really like tell you the history of P-Funk or like much of the song catalog. I mean, I was kind of growing up I was more of like an Americana and folk and kind of classic rock kid, you know, Beatles, Pink Floyd, the band, Towns Van Zandt, Bob Dylan, stuff like that. Um, Have have you guys at least given thought to what material you'll play that will resonate to an audience that might be completely unfamiliar with you? Well, that's... That's a, that's a fork in the road, isn't it? You know, like on one hand we could do that. We have a lot of earlier material. That's really like, kind of like pretty digestible. And I would dare say funky. I wouldn't call it funk, but it's funky. But I also just want to like be ourselves really. And, and I feel like that's like, you know, I mean, like, it's just like with like dating like I didn't meet my wife by pretending to be anything that I'm not. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Sure. You don't want to pander. Yeah. I want to be myself and the people who are meant to like it will like it. And the people who aren't meant to like, you know, we don't need them anyways and they don't need us. So everybody's happy. So I'm sort of under the, a little bit under the theory that we should do whatever we want, 
Yeah. Um, but we'll see. There's been some talk about it because the sets are really short too. They're like half an hour. And we're kind of like, how do we do that? You know, I mean, that could be like two songs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so we'll find out, you know, yes. I think it's a healthy outlook for us too. Is like, it's almost like we get to go see a bunch of George Clinton shows and have a great time. And the, the fee for it is that we jam for half an hour every night. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like pretty awesome when you look at it that, that way. Is a like, sweet deal. You know, don't stress about it. Play songs, whatever you feel like playing, and then have fun. Yeah. Well, Dopapod is out now. It's a fantastic album. I highly recommend it. And uh, Rob, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. Of course. Thank you. end of this episode of the jam bass podcast thanks to rob compa for taking the time to talk with me you can pick up the dopapod album wherever you find good music also thanks to grateful fred for sponsoring the jam bass podcast head to grateful-fred.com to browse and purchase their products this episode has been produced by jake alexander thanks jake be sure to check back next week for another fantastic interview Enjoy the holiday weekend and go see live music.